Matthew chapter 4. Matthew uh, chapter 4. I have a, a question for you, okay? Um, if we were to do a very 21st century thing and interview the disciples, okay? We get them all to sit around in a table and imagine the TV cameras are rolling and this is a, a live interview of the, those who followed Jesus. I want you to imagine the interviewer asked them, he said, okay, now we can all agree that the resurrection was the most amazing thing that you saw Jesus do. They would all say, yes, agreed. And then if you said, what was the next thing? What was the most amazing thing you saw Jesus do other than the resurrection? Now, think of what you would say. Think of the answer you would expect that they would give. Think of all the miracles that Jesus did that were really profound and amazing. I am very confident that the disciples would pick one that we wouldn't. I'm very confident that they would say, oh, that's easy. The miracle that was the most amazing, other than the resurrection, was the feeding of the 5,000. I'm very confident that that's what they would say. There's a few reasons for that. For one, they had a hand in it, literally. Jesus was creating food from these loaves, these little barley loaves and two fish, five loaves and two fish, and they were the ones who were distributing it. They saw the amount of food that was left over uh, from just this little child's lunch. They were the ones distributing it to the people. They were the ones who were put in a place of need and didn't have an answer. There's a few other reasons for that. That miracle set off a chain of events that are, that chain is discussed in all of the Gospels. It led the crowd to rise up and want to make Jesus their king. Jesus had to dismiss the crowds. He put the disciples into a boat and he sent them over to the other side. Right after that, they're trying to row to the other side and they're caught in a huge storm and Jesus walks on the water, brings them to the shore on the other side. The people spot him and come over to him. Thousands upon thousands of people are gathering around Jesus, and they all say, we want to make you king. And Jesus starts talking. He says, you're not coming to follow me because you want me to be your king. You're coming to follow me because I gave you bread, and the bread made you full, and it says that the people were about to make him king by force. It's a very strange thing to do. He chose to feed them. He could choose not to feed them. It's the acme of presumption. And Jesus started talking to them, and he says, I'm the bread of life, which we'll talk about in a moment. The Jews are upset that he's not going to meet their every whim. They're not, he's not going to obey them. Oftentimes, people in leadership will have those uh, they serve come to them and say, you don't, I'm, I'm angry at you, you don't listen to me. Well, have you ever had a boss that didn't really listen to you? Well, sure. But sometimes the boss could rightly say, you tell me that I'm not listening to you, but is it that I'm not listening or that I'm not obeying? And if they're honest, they would say, 
It's the second blind. And that's the point. They've come to Jesus, and they're thrusting upon him. And he's neither, he is listening to them, but he's not obeying them. And they are angry about that. And as he talks, one by one, these people drift away until there's only 12 left. Just 12. Moments before, there was 30, 40,000 of them. And Jesus looks at them and says, are you guys going to go away as well? And they say, where do we go? You have the words of eternal life. All of that was set in motion when Jesus started to feed the 5,000 people. And it was a crazy 24 hours that that miracle set in motion. And this is why it was such a seminal event in the disciples' lives. There is another reason why the disciples would answer that interview question the way that they did. The reason for it is that Jesus, it was a very big deal to Jesus to talk about the miracle of manna and the daily provision that it represented. The idea of manna being delivered to the Israelites daily and how it illustrates our daily dependence on the Lord was a cornerstone thought of our Lord's life. And you can see how it plays out in his life. Now, this morning in the worship service, we are going to be studying Exodus 16, the miracle of the provision of manna. And what I'd like to do is raise the level of importance of that miracle. We need to, we need to pay special attention to it, not just because it's a part of God's word. Yes, that would be reason enough. But it was particularly important to the Lord. And because it's particularly important to the Lord, it ought to be particularly important to us, right? So I had you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And I want us to begin reading verse 1. And what we're about to see is a replication of what we're going to run into in the book of Exodus. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit, and your Bible should have a capital S on that word Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Let's stop there. In Exodus chapter 16, God's people are entering the wilderness. They've gone from the wilderness of Shur to the wilderness of Sin. Now, we have that word sin. Uh, it's a different Hebrew construction. It doesn't mean sin the way we think it means sin. It's just uh, a transliteration of the pronunciation. But who led the Israelites into that wilderness? God did. And it says that God led them into that wilderness to test them. He tested them over 
bread. He tested them over water. He tested them over civic affairs. He tested them in a variety of ways. So here you've got God's people at the direction of God going to be tested by God. We've got God the Son being led by God into the wilderness to be tested. Now those are the similarities, right? But let's think about some of the contrasts, some differences, because there are differences and those differences are important. The first one is this. It wasn't, in one case, the people were being tested and God knew that provision was coming. Miraculous provision was coming. And in the case of the Lord Jesus, he was being sent by the Spirit into the wilderness and no provision was coming. He wasn't entitled to turn the stones into bread. Okay? Another difference is this. The Israelites were led into the wilderness to be tested by God. And remember, let's remember by what a test means in biblical contexts. A test is not a generally speaking in the Bible, a pass or fail kind of thing. Does anybody remember, biblically speaking, what a test does? I think Kyle will know the answer to this because of his trade. He will know this exactly. What, what does a test in the biblical sense do? No? It doesn't check your knowledge? Kyle, why do you, you, you have a little tool that you, you put one on a black wire and one on a white wire. What do you call that? A tester. <laughs> what does the tester show you? Yeah, it shows you, shows you what's there. So with that assist, what does a test do, biblically speaking? Nathan? Yeah, not confirms. What was this, Dirk? It reveals. It shows you what's there, okay? A test in the biblical sense is a revealer. This is why we call tests in the academic world, okay? Yes, it's sometimes a hurdle for students to get over, but a good teacher is not thinking of a test in terms of, I'm gonna, we've all taken tests that are designed simply to weed out certain students. Those are the most miserable tests. A good teacher has tests to understand what the students know and what they don't know. He or she is wanting to use the test to reveal the knowledge of the student. It's a revealer. And so the Israelites are being sent into the wilderness by God to reveal what's in their hearts. And Jesus is being sent by the wilderness by God to reveal what's in his heart. Okay? We knew Jesus was going to pass it in that sense. The important thing is we get a window into what's in his soul, just as it was in Exodus 16. There's another obvious difference. What Does anybody want to come up with that for me? What's another obvious difference in Matthew 4 and Exodus 16? That's right. That's right, Dirk. Who's doing the revealing? Who's doing the testing? In the one case, it was the devil, and in the other case, it's the Lord. Now, there's a sense in Matthew 4, you might want to note this down. 
Jesus was not being lured into the wilderness by the devil for some crafty test, that, some crafty snare that the devil had set for him. This was an invasion of the devil's domain. Jesus was sent there, and the devil seems to have been an unwilling host and tester of the new arrival. God was forcing the devil's hand to reveal what was in the heart of his son. And here Jesus shows up. There's another difference. There's one more difference. I, I may have highlighted this before. The, a third contrast, a, a fourth major difference. I had said that provision wasn't coming. In one case, it was just the threat of supply. The people weren't out of, the, the people hadn't starved yet. They just didn't have food for tomorrow, okay? Um, they, hadn't, they hadn't experienced the threat yet. It was all potential. But in Jesus' case, it was 45 days without food. It was very real. So. Now that we've got some similarities and differences, why do you think the authors set it up this way? Why do you think Jesus, the Spirit of God, did it this way? What, what do you think is going on here when we look at the similarities and differences of these two passages? Does anybody want to try? This my, my wife teases me, and she's watching at home on the live stream probably because Bill is sick today. But she says, sometimes you ask questions that only you know the answer to. And I'm granting that this might be one of them, OK? Um, but let's, get, let's see if we can try. Yes? To demonstrate who's in control, let me, let me think on that for one second. Boy, that's a pretty good answer in general terms. Yeah, that's a pretty good answer. Um, there's some more specifics attached to that, but that's pretty good. Daniel. That's exactly right, Daniel. That everybody listen to what Daniel just said. It's it's a matter of it's a matter of best case, worst case. Okay? The Israelites were experiencing a test under the best case scenario possible. They'd seen all these miracles back to back to back. Their their threat was only potential. And they could see the cloud of God. They could see the glory of God. And they'd seen all these miracles. And what was revealed about them was this grumbling, griping, sinful people. Jesus, and, and furthermore, the testing came from God. It wasn't a, 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 a vicious testing. Worst case scenario, Jesus is by himself driven out into the wilderness where people would, where commentators pointed out, in Jesus' full humanity, this would have been a hard and 
terrifying experience to be so isolated and alone and to experience the very real consequences of hunger make it a worse case. In, here's another key difference. The people of Israel did not have the means to get out of it, and Jesus did. And so it wasn't, these people couldn't create the food they needed, but Jesus could. And so it was not only a test, a, a, a revelation that he was content in what the Lord was doing, but a revelation that he was content not to exercise his powers even when he could have, simply because his Lord told him not to. Okay? So, as Daniel said, this is best case, worst case. Best case, the Israelites showed just how fallen and broken humanity is. On the worst case scenario, Jesus, in our behalf, representing us, went out into the devil's domain, endured the worst case scenario, and came through shining and sinless and spotless. This is a scenario that Jesus was deliberately, with the Spirit of God, setting up. Let's look at what his first test was. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, and he's quoting Deuteronomy 8. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus has right on his tongue Matthew, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 8. And here's the rationale that Jesus is taking. The good, kind, Spirit of God asked me to come out here to the wilderness. He verbally asked me. He drove me into this place. The good, kind, living, abiding word of God isn't asking me to create bread. It would usurp his authority for me to perform this miracle. And I'm going to believe that I can do without. Because in God's providence, I'm here. By God's command, I'm here. By God's command, he will sustain my body. By God's command, he will give me everything I need. And even in the depths of physical trauma, I don't need those things because I'm living by what the Lord has asked me to do. It's an amazing thing. Now, let's go to Matthew 14. I'm sorry, Matthew 6. Let's go to Matthew 6. There are a couple things that are instrumental in the believer's life. Hearing the word of God, Jesus just demonstrated how important that is. In fact, it's of utmost importance. Man shall not live by bread, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Another sort of Christian fundamental is, the, is prayer. In one case, you have 
God talking to us, and in the other case, you have us talking to God. And the disciples have noticed that Jesus has a little different prayer life than them. He talks to God like God is his own father, which stood out to them. They, Jesus didn't have rote prayers that he repeated over and again. Jesus didn't heap up empty phrases. There were no misplaced words. Jesus spoke to God like the person that he is, like the friend that he is. And this was shocking, even revolutionary, to these people. They couldn't fathom anybody, much less a holy man, approaching God with such cavalier words. And so the disciples, I'm sure at first, thought it strange, but over time they began to see that Jesus had a profoundly good prayer life and that it was substantially different, substantively different than theirs. And they said, would you teach us to pray like you pray? And so Jesus says, of course. He says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. It will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the first set of prayer requests is for God to accomplish something. And then the first need request, we have needs. When you ask for your needs to be met, give us this day our daily bread. And that's a clear reference to Exodus 16, where the manna was to be gathered every day except on Saturday, the Sabbath day. The bread, as we'll find out, the manna would not keep over me. You couldn't get ahead by hoarding it. There was, <laughs> you, couldn't, you couldn't take its pods and sow it in the ground and have a bumper crop come up next year. They were in a place that offered no food whatsoever. They had animals that needed to be fed and children that needed to be fed and so forth. And there was daily needs. And God was meeting their daily needs. It doesn't mean they had to go get that bread every day. If they wanted to eat something else, that was their right. But this was a staple of their diet. They needed it every day. And they would go get it every day. Now, this is a little bit hard for us to understand, I think. We live in the era the supermarket. You know, I we're a little numb to it. We're a little numb to it. Um, there's a story uh, from the Cold War era. Uh, Russia had just opened up. And I, I heard a, a Scotsman, Sinclair Ferguson, uh, tell this story. Uh, he um, was at a pastor's conference and because Russia had just opened up, they had 15 or 20 of these Russian pastors who'd been imprisoned for their faith there with them at this pastor's conference. And they had only been in the States a few days. And one of the pastors, somewhat naively, took this group of pastors to an American supermarket. And he didn't know what was about to happen next, what was routine for him. 
they walked into the grocery store, the supercenter, and when the doors opened up, every one of those Russian pastors to a man began to weep. They'd never seen anything like it. And Sinclair Ferguson said, you know, I grew up in Scotland, and everywhere else in the world, we call American supermarkets the eighth wonder of the world. That somehow they make apples redder. We just take that for granted. How many of you shop at Costco or Sam's so you can get weeks of food? Okay. You, to quote Dave Ramsey, you're buying tubs of mustard that would feed an army, okay? And taking that home with you. <laughs> just because you can. Um, how many of you, raise your hand, have more than one refrigerator in your house? Okay, yeah, <laughs> most of us. Maybe some of us have three or four, I don't know, I won't. Freezers, okay, to raise your hand if you have a freezer in there too, okay? More than one refrigerator or freezer, okay. We're numb to this. Everywhere else in the world, you go every day to get your groceries. When I was a, a, in college, I spent some time in Mexico, and that was how I started to learn Spanish. The missionary said, every morning, you're going to go to the market and get the groceries for the day. And he would send me with the list in Spanish, which is tough, because I didn't know what broccoli was in Spanish, or, you know, <laughs> I don't remember what that word was, but you don't always know. And, I would have to get down there and navigate the, that this is a daily chore. And the Israelites were treated to this daily provision. And God says, Jesus says, when we pray, it's this daily, day-by-day day need, day-by-day day need. Every day we need the next. Every day we need the next. Let's turn now to Matthew 14. And I, wanna, I want you to see something. I want you to see how Jesus is sort of recreating the Exodus events. And I want you to ask yourself why he does that. We don't have a lot of time left, so I want you to ask yourself why. Okay? We come to the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. I had pointed this out earlier. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowd heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. He saw the crowd coming. Go down to verse 16. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves and two fish. It was a little boy that brought that. And he said, bring them here to me. And he ordered the crowds to sit down on grass and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They didn't even have to gather. It was brought to them. And they took up about 12 baskets full of the broken pieces. Those who ate were about 5,000 men besides many children. I'm a family of seven. So not all of us here have families of seven, but let's say we all have families of four to five. So you just multiply that number. You're looking at twenty to 25,000 people. And Jesus just 
makes two. Makes two. Let's keep going. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. The wind plays a prominent factor. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. They cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart of the So he's reversing the order, but he's replicating the signs that we read, we've been studying in the book of Exodus. Jesus can create food at will. Jesus controls the water. He controls the wind that makes the water wavy. He can control the water so that he can walk on it. He controls the water so that Peter can stand on it. After they confess him to be Lord, the storm immediately calms because Jesus controls the water so profoundly. And again, in the book of Exodus, the water stands up in a heap. The people pass through. The water is um, unpotable, and suddenly it's made sweet. They don't have any water, and water rushes from a rock. So, do you see what Jesus is doing here? Now let's get to that question. Why? Why do you think he's doing it that way? Do you see this deliberate attempt to replicate the miracles of Exodus? That's right, Anna. The same God, Yahweh, who made the food and split the sea, is now standing in the flesh doing the same exact things. This God that you've heard about has come to redeem you. And Jesus, by word and by deed, is making it so plain that he's the one who controls all of you. Again, we, I don't think, can see it as well because of our, and I'm not complaining about it, I don't, I don't wish it away, but we, we have abundance, we have incredible supply. It does get, because of it, one of the negative byproducts is it's hard to put ourselves in the shoes of people who, for whom food was a constant concern. Even if they had plenty, it still had to be gathered and prepared every day, no matter what. If you were a farmer, there was this constant press of the need to create and store the food. And so, this miracle of bread coming from heaven and laying on the ground is a seminal religious thought in the life of Jesus. It was a cornerstone principle for him that he came back to over and over again. And it informed how he submitted to the Lord. 
and that it informed how he prayed. It informed the miracles that he did. It informed the advice that he gave. This, what we're reading and studying was Jesus' Bible. And you can see him ordering his life according to his Bible. Does that make sense, everybody? And we get the privilege of studying one of those passages of the Bible this morning. So let's dismiss now from Sunday school and prepare our hearts to read more from Exodus 16, which was such a seminal thought in Jesus' life. Father, would you give us grace as we uh, transition now to worship? Put us in a place where we are so eager to praise you for the daily provision that you give us. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name.